All right. I think that's pretty dynamic. I mean, they just figured that out this morning. So, um, Well, happy Mother's Day. I'm Butch. I'm a pastor here on staff at Copper Hills, and this is my lovely, beautiful wife, Heidi. And uh, typically, um, I get asked this all the question, what is a guy like you doing with a girl like that? And to sum it up, uh, I don't have the answer for you, but um, I'll just go off of what my brother said at our wedding. He says, you know, Heidi, as a little girl, dreamed of having this handsome, strong, um, successful man. And we're just so thankful that uh, Butch married her before she found him. So that's kind of where we stand, right? Um, but on Mother's Day, one of the traditions we also do besides child dedication is we try and find some sort of professional to come up and speak on behalf of mothers. And it's funny, I was looking up some statistics on moms and stay-at-home moms in particular. And it says like on several posts that the average stay-at-home mom between two to three kids should make about $150,000 to $160,000 a year. So I was a little skeptical of this. And then my wife went away to the women's retreat for a whole weekend. (laughs) And we have five kids. So I wonder if the number goes up. And let me just tell you what, we all survived, barely. Um, But I just, for you moms, to birth a human, to put up with them, to turn them into uh, like, kind of like, fit into the world and kind of like be, I don't know, somewhat successful or tolerable human beings. Good job. Um, But my wife is the strongest and bravest uh, person that I know. She had all five of our kids at home with no drugs. Um, I wanted them, but she said no. (laughs) I asked if I could have her portion, but um, I'm so thankful for you, and I'm so uh, proud of you for getting up here, even though you're terrified. And uh, I just pray that God speaks in and through you. So why don't you guys give my wife, Heidi, a warm welcome. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm Heidi, like Butch said. Um, We've been married for about 10 and a half years, and we have five small children. Um, So our house is constantly messy, crazy. I deal with daily temper tantrums and hissy fits and booger wiping and picking up dirty socks, and that's just Butch. So I also have the five kids I still have to deal with. Um, Actually, when Brad asked me if I would speak, I was so nervous that I almost said no, And then I thought about all the times he stood up here and burned me for having all these kids. So I thought, maybe I could get him back. But then I, you know, someone's got to be the bigger man, and I think I'll do that, so. Um, But really, I'm glad to be here and talk about some of the things that God's been putting on my heart. Um, So I'm a pretty positive person, so a lot of this stuff isn't super fun to talk about. uh, But the truth is, that's just kind of life, right? Um, There's good, bad, sometimes life takes a turn, and I'm just certain that if we let God, he'll use it for good. Um, Now, I just want to give you some backstory first. So I own a small business designing and producing kids' clothing, and a little over three years ago, a brand new sewing company I was using um, fell through on a huge order right before Christmas, and it left us sending out thousands of dollars in refunds to customers, thousands of dollars in pay to backup seamstresses, Um, basically just a whole lot of people needing a whole lot of money from us. And because my business is all hubbed around social media, I got to see some of the horrible things people were saying about me and attacking my character, and it was hard. Not only did this almost take down my entire business, but it left me with an overwhelming burden of financial and emotional stress. I knew it was going to be a huge obstacle to just try and get things back up and running like normal again. So when this all came to a crash... It was December 19th of 2016, and I know the date because it was the day that I went into labor with baby number five. 
And if that wasn't enough, the cherry on top was get, getting for the first time postpartum depression. It was hard and I couldn't sleep and I had no appetite. Um, and even though my brain knew there was light at the end of the tunnel, it's like there were so many curves in the tunnel that I just couldn't really see a way out. So after months of what felt like I was living in a dark cloud and the weight of the world on my shoulders, I just needed to get away. So Butch and I took our five kids, hooked up the trailer, and headed out for a week-long camping trip. Some of you probably remember this camping trip. It was July now, at that point, um, and the AC in our car was out, so we really couldn't talk the whole way up. And I just remember praying the whole entire drive, God, I need you to show up in a big way. I need to see you and feel you. I can't catch my breath, and I feel like I'm drowning. So I was fully expecting to have that much-needed rest that my heart and body was aching for when we arrived at our campsite. It was secluded. There was no one else in sight. We parked our trailer, and all of the kids, minus our newest seven-month-old at the time, they started walking over to a small log fort that was on our campsite. We actually have a picture of the fort. Within minutes, our fourth child, who was 22 months at the time, went missing. I walked all around the fort where the kids were playing, and he just wasn't there. I immediately started yelling his name, then screaming his name. Um, Me and Butch searched, we yelled, we screamed, we ran our hearts out, and nothing. About 15 to 20 minutes in, I was on the phone with 911, describing everything about Kingston down to what he was last seen wearing. Butch had already ran everywhere, so I mean everywhere. And I think at one point I even yelled, you got to go further, you have to go further. So he jumped in his truck and just started driving to get further out. Well, it was about two and a half of the scariest, darkest hours of my life. As you can imagine, some of the things I was thinking um, as helicopters hovered and search and rescue teams were out and missing person messages were being spread around like wildfire. And as the sun started going down, I saw the sheriff running towards me and she screamed, we got him, we got him. And he was there. He was perfect. He was safe, and he was even happy. They found our boy. They said he must have just wandered off. We don't know why. We know his eyesight now may have played a little bit into that. So while this story had a happy ending, it left me feeling a lot of emotions. I mean, I went on that trip with so many questions and so much weighing me down. I think of when I was a kid at the beach and I got caught in like a series of tidal waves and a wave crashed over my head, so I held my breath under the water and then another one came. And I started to panic, thinking I need to get back up there and take a breath. And just as I thought I saw the light and I was going to get to have that breath, a third wave crashed over. And this is what I was feeling again. I was drowning and this camping trip was like my last attempt at catching a breath and then the waves came. So in the days and weeks following the camping trip, it kind of all hit me, all the feelings that I really didn't even want to say out loud. What was the purpose of this God? Why me? He's home, he's safe, he's in our arms. Life goes on, and I just feel like a failure. I have no place having five kids. I have no place having one kid. Why did this have to be a part of my story? Because it literally served no good purpose. It brought no big awakening. It didn't give my life a big plot twist. And now I'm just so thankful nothing else matters. And I feel like I'm walking on rainbows. (laughs) My heart was wrecked and it was less settled than it had ever been in my life. And although it wasn't said out loud to many people, I couldn't stop the words running through my mind. I'm a bad mom. I'm reckless. 
so I was thinking about some of the women in the Bible who maybe, just maybe, had some of these similar thoughts. And Jochebed, Moses' mom, she was living in a time where her people were not only enslaved by the Egyptians, but they were ordered to kill every Israelite baby boy that was born at the time. If you remember the story, and you can read up here, I'm going to kind of summarize it. Um, you'll remember that she hid Moses for three months, and when she couldn't hide him any longer, she coated a basket in tar and pitch to waterproof it, placed her baby in the basket, and put him in the Nile River. And that question, why? At, at one point, Pharaoh's daughter actually ended up finding the baby and adopting him. And then he got to be instantly reunited with his mom for a time until he could be weaned and go live at the palace. But I wonder if at some point while Jacobed weaved the basket or waterproofed the basket or maybe even tested it out to make sure it would float, knowing she was going to put her own little baby in this basket and send him away. Or maybe, maybe even the moment after having him back in her arms for a while and then having to show up at the palace just to give him away again. I wonder if that question didn't come up in her mind at some point. What is the purpose of this, God? Why me? Why does this have to be a part of my story? Or Eve, the very first woman. Eve's story is different because her hardship didn't just happen to her. Um, In Genesis 2.16, you can see she had instructions from God that she and Adam were free to eat from any tree in the garden, but they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if they do, they will certainly die. So she had help. She was given instructions, knew what to do, what not to do, And yet in one moment of weakness, she ate the fruit of the tree, the only tree that had consequences, and her fate was sealed. She made a mistake. And again, I wonder if that question why came through her mind. Or maybe even perhaps at some point when she was busy populating the entire earth, that thought, I have no place raising children when I made such a reckless mistake. Or how about Mary, the mother of Jesus? There had to have been parts of her story that she'd wished were a little bit different, right? So just a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going to our women's retreat with Copper Hills and Prescott for the weekend. And Amy was the speaker, one of our pastor's wives. And there was a moment one night where she encouraged us to just sit in silence while the worship team continued to sing. She was wanting us to hear what God was telling us specifically about our stories. And that was kind of a theme going through the weekend, that our story matters. And while I was trying so hard to figure out what parts of my story I would piece together in a testimony, I was kind of excited to think about what I would include, just to sum up my own thoughts on my whole journey until now. Would it be when I first accepted Christ as my Savior? Or maybe when I completely turned my back on my faith for a time, um, just to live a life that was more convenient for me? Or maybe there's something there about how when I had just two kids and my prayer sounded something like this. Dear God, I'm just so thankful for my sweet, tender-hearted, compliant children. Clearly my hard work in parenting has paid off and I'm so grateful I get to be such a big part of the amazing little humans they're turning into. And then fast forward just a year later when Charlie was born. <laughs> and my prayer sounded more like this. Dear God, I'm so scared of Charlie. She bites everyone, and her scream almost cracked the windows at Target last week. I'm just so grateful that you've called us to just be the seed planters so that I know if this one turns out bad, it's clearly on you. And while I'm thinking through my life, the story of Kingston going missing was taking over my mind, and it was making me angry. I wanted to focus on something helpful and useful, and that's like one part of my story that it's just mine. I don't want to share how it made me feel. I don't want to share it at all. Because, I mean, it's an interesting story, but aside from that, I just don't know what good it served. 
And you see, I think there's times in my life when I feel like I need to know the outcome will be good before I move forward or before I show up. Have you ever met someone who, from your side of the table, seems a little bit reckless or bold in their actions? Well, I'm married to one of those people. (laughs) And a while back, Butch saw that one of his childhood friends, Jason, had a son over four months early, and he was in the NICU. Butch was in Jason's wedding, and they'd been lifelong friends, um, but it had been years at this point that they hadn't talked. Just life got busy as it does. And when he saw that Jason's baby was in the hospital, and they didn't know if he was going to make it, Butch said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And while that was a sweet thought, I'm like, uh, no, this is a time for family. And he didn't ask you to come. I don't think you should go. Just call him. Well, I don't even think a whole day passed and Butch made up his mind. He was just going to show up. And for the next few months, Butch kept showing up at the hospital to see baby Ethan's progress. There were ups and downs, but in the end, he didn't end up making it. There was a time at the funeral, at the end, when people were lining up to give their condolences to Jason and his wife, Janine. And Butch said, let's just stay back and let everyone else go first. Then Butch went up to Jason at the end. And I saw Jason grab him and collapse in his arms. And he just started sobbing. And when I walked by, I heard Jason tell Butch, out of all my friends, you're the only one who showed up. I think I get so into my own head sometimes that if I think I can see the outcome and it's not what I like, I just choose not to go there and play it safe. So anyways, this all came back around at that women's retreat that I was at. I couldn't let go of that part of my story. And during this time where we were supposed to just really connect with our maker, I wrote down something in my journal like this. God, I want to share my story, but I can't get around that story of Kingston. It's distracting me and I'm trying to focus but you know my story. Can you finally just tell me why so I can move on? And then the very next thing I wrote, almost as if my pen was writing it first and I was reading it after, was this. Your story was never meant for just you. That's it. Now, I've been watching this show, this seems off topic, called Mountain Men. <laughs> and it's about these men that live in the depth, they live in the depths of the wilderness and they live off the land. And when they go hunting... They don't just take like the best cuts of meat or the fur to sell it. They actually use every single part of the animal for something, down to the really gross parts that they'll use to like bait other animals or polish a carving or something. I don't know. But I think it's just such a good description of what God does with our stories. He doesn't just take the best parts. He uses every last bit for good. He takes the mom like Jochebed, who had no idea the impact that her brave act of saving her son would have. She couldn't have known that Moses was going to grow up and be the one who was chosen to lead the Israelites out of slavery. I don't think she knew back then that her story was meant for anyone except herself. And Mary and Eve, they had to have known that they were a part of something monumental. But how many people have been impacted by their personal stories? And not just the good parts, like when Mary said yes to the angel, or when Eve was just literally the first woman alive, but the bad parts too. Like when Mary saw her son hanging on a cross and dying, or when Eve made a single bad choice and pulled all of humanity out of the Garden of Eden. I just wonder if those moments didn't feel a little bit isolating. Maybe even a part of the story that if they were telling it, they'd rather not give any focus to it all because it was just too hard. So when I had that moment at the retreat where I knew God was speaking to me, 
there was a specific song we were actually singing. It's one we sing here often called Reckless Love. And every time I hear this song, my stomach turns to knots. So I sing the song, get through the end of it, and take a breath when it's over. And then sweet Amy comes back up and says, let's sing that again. (sighs) So here's some of the words, and you can guess why I get these feelings. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And then it gets to this bridge. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And it pulls me right back to that moment where me and Butch were chasing our lost son. Because we have four other kids, I had to stay with them. But I watched Butch leave and run. A couple of sheriffs mentioned at different times that they didn't recommend parents search. They wanted them to stay back while search and rescue does their job. To which my husband's response was, there is no way I'm not going to search for my lost son. I saw firsthand the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of a father. He didn't pack a water bottle and a protein bar and a survival kit. He didn't come grab his phone to make sure people knew his location. He recklessly chased and ran and fought to find his son. Now, Kingston wasn't even two at the time, but maybe had he done something to disappoint us or made a bad choice earlier that day, let me tell you, there is no amount of his story that would have ever stopped Butch from running as hard and as far and as long as he did because he was not going to give up until his son was found. And if you're not in a relationship with your heavenly father and you're lost, I pray that you know he is coming after you and God will not stop chasing after you. There is nothing in your story that will keep him from running after you again and again. You're a child of God, and he loves you recklessly. Now, Jesus, I don't know where everyone stands today. I don't know what hardships have come and what choices were made. I still don't know what my own stories might be used for. But I know that you waste no part of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the unimaginable. God, I just pray that everyone here would know that for whatever reason, you have given me a first-hand look, a real-life visual of your never-ending reckless love, and I'm honored that I got to see it. And I want people here to know what that looks like and to know what that feels like, God, that they are your child and they are so loved by you. And no matter their story, you're going to pursue them every single day, and it won't stop, God. Pray that they will feel loved by you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, real quick, I mentioned that I got to see what it looked like to chase after our lost son. But I also got to see what it looked like that moment when his father got to grab him in his arms for the first time again. So I wanted to share this with you so you guys could see it too.